Well, it's 2024, and it's also the return of the jackpot. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and yes, I can hear you cheering and clapping out there in podcast land because the jackpot is indeed back. It's where On Point news analyst Jack Beatty helps us connect history, literature, and politics in a way that brings unique clarity to the world we live in now. Hello there, Jack, and Happy New Year to you. Hello, and a very happy new year to you, Magna. I'm so, so delighted to be back here with you, Jack. So let's get right to it. Episode 16 of The Pod today, our first of 2024. What's your headline for kicking this year off? Democracy and its discontents. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wasting no time, Jack, to get to the heart of the issue here. So what are the specific discontents that you want to look at today? Well, they're not the discontent that many Americans feel with the likely uh, rematch between Biden and Trump. Dave Barry, the humorist, has well said that most Americans look forward to that rematch with all the enthusiasm with which they would regard a colonoscopy at Jiffy Lube. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> the, the evidence, uh, the suggestive evidence, that many people are just... I, 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 they haven't done well enough in this democracy and they're frustrated with the system. You, you know, we tend to think, who couldn't like democracy? And yet it has, uh, it has frustrations that are perhaps unique to it. And uh, one of them was, was really well stated by Theodore Adorno in his classic, The Authoritarian Personality. And this is a this is really a, a sketch of political psychology rather than the support of an authoritarian regime. So he's talking about what people feel uh, rather than what they will vote for. But, of course, one would lead to the other. Anyway, here's his take on what's hard about living in a democracy. It cannot be disputed that formal democracy under the present economic system does not suffice to guarantee to the bulk of the population satisfaction of the most elementary wants and needs. Whereas, at the same time, the democratic form of government is presented as if it were close to an ideal society. He goes on, the resentment caused by this contradiction is turned by those who do not see the economic roots. They, 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 it's turned by those against the form of democracy itself because it does not fulfill what it promises. Mm. Wow. That's a, that, that's a, a, when you marry democracy with competitive free market capitalism, um, people are going to say, this is the greatest system on earth. Why aren't I flourishing? Yeah. Why, why are things so bad? Uh, and, and I think he puts his, his finger uh, right on it. it and, you know, and Jack, the, just the, simply jump in here. That was yeah. from 1950, you said? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what evidence do you see now that uh, people may be increasingly willing to ditch democracy? Well, there are two groups in the society that we can, that evidence suggests are, uh, let's put it this way, their, their ties to belief in democracy weakening. One, white working class voters, and the other, and surprisingly, younger voters. You know, it's a cliche to say that 
white working class voters are restive and unhappy. But when you start to look at the headlines of articles and uh, papers about them, it really brings that home. You know, uh, the unhappy outlook of the U.S. white working class, the lonely poverty of the U.S. working class. Who's to blame for the plight of the white working class? Uh, economic fatalism and the American white working class. On and on, this picture of, and we know the statistics, we've seen them, uh, of, of life just not satisfying Americans without a college degree. And the Federal Reserve in St. Louis did a, did a study of this, and there's a key sentence that brings out the, the, the plight of these people and also the resentment that comes from that. The sentence is, we conjecture that the white working class and its problems may be due to the reduction over time of advantages its members once had over non-white families with no college degree. Mm. Uh, in other words, white working class voters are looking out on a situation where, in fact, uh, among uh, African-Americans, marriage rates are increasing. Among uh, Hispanics, they are stable as always. Among white working class voters, they are declining. That's just one of the indices that is disturbing on this on this economic front, but also one rife with uh, racial resentment. Uh, and, you know, to the, the problem of, you know, not having enough, uh, there's added the rebuffs to dignity that are the lot of people without a college degree right. in, this, in this society. And here's an anecdote. A friend of mine once applied to be an accountant at a milk company in Boston. And they gave him a big test. And, and one of the things in the test was they had to pronounce a bunch of words. You know, someone said, pronounce these words. And he pronounced them and he looked at one and he said, goth. And the person said, yes. And he said, goth. And uh, he didn't get the job. And he, he thought, you know, the reason I didn't get that job, I had never heard, he was from a Connecticut mill town, I had never heard anybody say the word Goethe. Oh. For, wa for want of Goethe, he couldn't get the job. That's the kind of indignity that uh, the college educated, quote unquote, the college educated Americans uh, tend to uh, foist upon those uh, with less opportunity. You know, Jack, um, just to underscore the point you made that links it back to racial resentment, of course, uh, any person of color listening to this would say that, you know, especially black Americans, uh, regard they've always had to feel careful about um, how they speak, right, in, in certain situations um, because right. of the automatic judgments that are made just simply based on uh, on accent and dialect. And so to the fact that uh, your story and, and more importantly, uh, working class white Americans now may be feeling those same indignities, the ideal situation to come out of that would be a sense of solid of economic solidarity then with um, other groups of Americans who have long felt those same indignities. But because of that racial resentment, that's not what we're getting out of this, at least as far as I can tell. No, we're not. And it's being partly because no one is speaking to it. It's, uh, and, and someone is speaking to the opposite, you know, to, to sort of polarize. And that, of course, is Donald Trump, yeah. uh, who has found this vein of resentment. 
and has worked it and is working it now uh, in regard to immigrants and uh, uh, others in the society. In, 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 in general, saying it's those people who are in, you know, behind your troubles, uh, not the economic system. <laughs> so n- no one but Trump speaking to it. We're going to come back to that in a minute, Jack, because I think that's such an important point. But you also mentioned in terms of being uh, increasingly dubious about democracy, you mentioned young Americans. Yes, this is uh, quite frightening when you look at the evidence. Uh, our friend Yaksha, is that how you say his name? Yaksha. I don't want to be Yaksha, mis- Yaksha yeah. I beg your pardon. He's been on the show several times. He did a fascinating study that's been much quoted, I think about five years ago. And what he found was uh, that uh, among young Americans, support for democracy is waning. You know, to the sentence, it is essential to live in a democracy. of older Americans, yes, only 30% of young people. Among young Americans polled in 2011, a record high of 24% said democracy is a bad or very bad way to run the country. Army rule, well, in, you know, ruled by the army in 1995, as recently as that, only one in 16 young persons said that. Now, It's one in six. Wow. So there is a great deal of uh, unhappiness that young Americans feel in the first instance at the economic system and the lot they have in life, but it's being refracted and directed toward democracy. And when you say, what's their economic situation? Nothing brings it home more than this finding. Uh, among Americans born like, you know, like me, like Joe Biden, uh, during or just after World War II, we had a 90 percent chance of earning more than our parents. 90 percent. Among people born after 1980, only 50 percent of those young Americans uh, have done better or can be expected to do better than their parents. That is a dramatic uh, decline in absolute mobility. And it's fastened on, on young Americans, uh, you know, assailed by them, you know, burdened by the costs of housing and all the, and the student loans and everything they've had to sacrifice to get where they are. And where are they? They're not in a place that they're happy about, and they are not happy with many of them with the system. Okay, Jack, so that was quite eye-opening about uh, why a lot of young people are discontented with democracy. So we got to take a quick break here, but when we come back, Jack, I want to take a look at with you about what that means for 2024. We'll be right back. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. 
but pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. Well, we're back. And Jack, I'm still thinking about those eye-popping statistics that you had from Yasha Munk about the sharp decline in social and economic mobility for young Americans these days in comparison to previous generations. I mean, that's like a real-time crumbling that we're watching, a crumbling of the bedrock of one of, you know, the American ideals that you can always raise yourself up in life. And you also said that no one's really speaking about this, maybe except for Trump, to people. And that, first of all, Jack, do you really think that no one's thinking about this? You don't think Biden is speaking about this? And if not, I mean, that could pose a major problem for him in the election that's coming up later this year. Well, he's saying the the issue of the election is, uh, will you keep democracy or not? I think he's right. You know, Trump is going to introduce some sort of, he said it himself, dictatorship, uh, something that will not bear any resemblance to what we have known as American democracy. So he's right that that's the issue of the election. But I have not heard him address these frustrations that, that are th- threatening to bring down democracy. Indeed, uh, in terms of the young people, in the current New York Review, Fintan O'Toole has an essay. He says, Biden is a lightning rod for ge- for the kind of generational inequality we just talked about. The people in his generation, almost all of them did better than their parents. People since 1980 struggle to even stay near their parents. And Biden, he says, is a lightning rod for that inequality. He says many young Americans identify him with the age-related injustices that have shaped their lives. And Biden, rather than seeming alive to this threat to him, uh, has a, a almost call- has expressed callous sentiments. Let's put it this way about young people's plight. Here he is. In 2018, talking to the LA Times, the younger generation now tells me how tough things are. Give me a break. No, no, I have no empathy for it. Give me a break. Because here's the deal, guys. We decided we were going to change the world, and we did. He's saying, we boomers are the ones who, <laughs> we're the, you don't even talk to us. We're, we made this America. This is our land, not yours. An incredible statement uh, from a presidential candidate uh, about, you know, the problems that he, uh, that, that young people face. And, and O'Toole, in the New York Review, he says, being the old white man <laughs> brings Biden no rewards, only resentment. And he adds, and resentment is the medium in which Donald Trump thrives. Indeed, Biden, who carried young people by 24 points in 2020, he now trails Trump among them by seven points. Wow. If there's ever been a time to say completely non-ironically, okay, boomer. I mean, I feel like this is it, Jack. Oh, right? But when, when we, you dug up that quote from, from Biden in the LA Times, you said, 2018? 
Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Because I, when he says we decided, well, actually, it was the U.S. government that decided in the post-war era to significantly, you know, sort of follow on the heels of both the New Deal and what happened in the Second World War to invest in people here. So, I mean, who's yes. the we? The we is the government. Now he, he <laughs> is the president. Yes, yes. And, you know, in, in his defense, uh, Jim Clyburn was on the television over the weekend and he says, you know, he's, he's forgiven something like $3 million in student loans for something like 3 million young Americans. He's tried to do more on that score. He was rebuffed by the courts. He's going to come back and try it. And he named other things that Biden has done for young people. But this kind of attitude, this sort of... Uh, generational triumphalism, he seems to feel, is, is really missing the point. I mean, the boomers are not as big as we used to be, but we control everything. The commanding heights and the gerontocracy that has fastened on American politics is, well, it's a boomer gerontocracy. And for the record, I am not a boomer. <laughs> I'm one of those disaffected Gen Xers. But, uh, you know, speaking stereotypically. But so, Jack, this all comes together then. I hear you going in a, in a certain direction that, I, I, first of all, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, that all the responsibility cannot be simply hung on the office of the presidency because we do have three technically co-equal branches of government. And there has been enormous obstinance from the Republican Party in terms of making permanent many of the ideas and changes that got a little, you know, chance to raise their heads up above the parapet in the COVID era, you know, the, the Biden uh, rebuilding plans. Uh, so it would have helped if Congress were able to do things. But more importantly, in an election year, it seems to me politically unwise to constantly point to the things that you tried but were unable to do, right? No, In, no. Instead of offering a new uh, empathetic vision that understands, as you said, the plight of these two groups of Americans in particular and says, here's what we, you know, we can do. Here's what we specifically want to do to help you live a better life. In the absence of that, what do you hear coming from the Trump camp. Well, the Trump camp just panders to the resentment, uh, uh, you know, to say if, if you're not doing well, it's their fault. It's the it's the immigrants. They're poisoning the blood of the country. It's, uh, you know, African-Americans who get all the breaks. And of course, polls among white working class voters actually show they believe that the, the government favors African-Americans over them. That, that they're doing worse than African. They are not. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's the, that's the, that's the self-pity, the victimization that Trump encourages. He, he, he thrives. You know, you never would have thought that making a virtue out of being a loser would be so great a, you know, a, a talisman to victory. It turns out it is. You have been screwed. You are a loser. I am going to make you a winner and all that. Mm -hmm. And and Trump has found that that vein. Now, it's open to other people to, to do things to try to ameliorate that problem. You know, the governor of Pennsylvania, Governor Shapiro, looking at the issue of the of, of people without college degrees, he looked at the employment, the, 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 uh, the workforce of the state, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and he said, look, for 65,000 jobs, we're going to do away with the requirement for a college degree. Hmm. You know, never mind if we can't say Goethe. 
You can work, uh, you know, fixing the roads. You can work helping people get their benefits. You can do all kinds of things. That's the kind of targeted amelioration, remedy, that could help to make uh, white working class voters feel less restive with the democracy itself. Right. I, I mean, I'm thinking to myself that uh, people who are feeling discontented with democracy, it's not baked in the cake that they will run in the direction of fascism or dictatorship. Other forms of democracy may actually be, you know, more appealing. For example, you know, the programs you were just talking about or more broadly European-style social democracies, which are still democracies. But the question, Jack, um, or a question that you're raising in my mind is, can that happen for as long as we're not hearing the kind of language that you're saying is coming from Joe Biden? And simultaneously, we're hearing um, very pro-fascism, I'd say, pro-dictatorship language from some of the leading lights in the Republican Party. I mean, you wanted to uh, point out something that Congresswoman Elise Stefanik had recently said. Oh, yes. This was on Sunday on uh, Meet the Press. And she was, well, we'll can, we have the tape. Can we go to the tape? Yep. So here is uh, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. She was interviewed by Kristen Welker, um, as Jack said, on NBC's Meet the Press. You mentioned Pennsylvania. Would you vote to certify and will you vote to certify the results of the 2024 election, no matter what they show? Well, I voted not to certify the state of Pennsylvania because, as we saw in Pennsylvania and other states across the country, that there was unconstitutional acts circumventing the state legislature and unilaterally changing election law. What about 2024? No, what about 2024? We will see if this is a legal and valid election. What we're seeing so far is that Democrats are so desperate, they're trying to remove President Trump from the ballot. Okay, Jack, thoughts? <laughs> we'll see about 2024. She's putting us on, she's the third ranking Republican in the House, by the way, and she's strenuously rehearsing for the vice presidential slot under, uh, as a candidacy under Trump. Uh, and, you know, she is, she is putting us on notice the 2024 election will decide nothing unless Donald Trump wins. I don't even know how to follow that up, Jack. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chilling possibility. So is that why you say that American democracy is at stake in 2024? Oh, oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. And people say, you know, Biden shouldn't make it an issue. People are worried about the price of eggs. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. But you know, they've got to be, it's got to be brought home to them uh, how, how, uh, what, how much of what they regard as the goodness and the sweetness of life is connected to self-rule and, and to the rule of law and to civility and to all the things that Trump means to tear up. Mm. It reminds me of the Churchillian quote, which I know I'll probably mangle right now, but that uh, democracy is a... A terrible, a terrible system of government, except for all the other yeah. ones, right? <laughs> right, right. Yes. Uh, I'm not meaning to make light of the situation, but uh, it's worthy of uh, of reminding ourselves that. Well, uh, Jack Potters, I just came up with that new nickname for you, Jack Potters, <laughs> listening. <laughs> Would love to hear from you on what you think about uh, what Jack has outlined us for us today, especially, especially if you are feeling some discontent with American democracy right now. 
So send us your thoughts. Uh, do it through the On Point Vox Pop app. If you don't already have it, go to wherever you get your apps and look for On Point Vox Pop. And let us know, why are you feeling discontented with American democracy or American-style democracy, which is so closely wedded with American capitalism? And let us know if either of the leading candidates for president right now are speaking to you in a way that th- that makes you think there is hope to uh, relieve your discontent. Again, do that through the On Point Vox Pop app. Well, Jack, this was quite a way to get the podcast for 2024 started. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say for next week, okay? I'm looking forward to it too. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and that's Jack Beatty, and this is On Point's Jackpot. We'll see you all next week. 